In the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. If you guys remember from last week, we have been following the life of Nebuchadnezzar, and we have seen that he have witnessed few miracles, and he has praised God. Chapter 4, what happened was that God showed him a dream, and that dream was basically telling him that he is like a tree that's feeding everybody, and God have ordered this tree to be cut off because the king himself is not humble. The king was arrogant. And we said that this chapter is the only chapter in the Bible, Daniel 4, that was written by a pagan person. This whole chapter is written by Nebuchadnezzar. And we said that after a full year, 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar was walking and he looked at, at Babylon and he said, look, isn't this a great city that I built myself? And we also said that Babel was at that time, one of uh, the walls of Babylon were actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So it was so beautiful. King Nebuchadnezzar was truly a great king. But his conversations with himself, his pride within himself, was not going to the unwatched. We saw that God is watching this man's thoughts. I remember, we always, we always say, and, and we always say spiritually, that when a thought comes to my head, it's not a sin. But when I dwell on the thought and indulge in it, it becomes a sin. So Nebuchadnezzar, he started dwelling. And after God sent him a clear message that, if, that because of your pride, and Daniel told him, you need to repent. And maybe he followed it for some time, a month, two, three months. After a year, he forgot. And that's actually perfect because it has been exactly almost a year since we have closed the church last year. And we have to see how we felt last year when we were all attending Holy Week and, and uh, the great length from home versus now when we come to church. Did I really make the changes or did I really respond to the voice of God in my heart or not? That's extremely important. We'll start from verse 31. So the king said in verse 30, this is great Babylon, I built it. While the word was still in the king's mouth, while it's still in his mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. It's something audible. The kingdom has departed from you. At the same moment, he was thinking this way. They told him, the kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with wild beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times, shall, seven times shall pass over you until you know that the most high rulers in the kingdom of men and gives, until you know that the most high rulers in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he chooses. When God uttered his judgment, he uttered it at the moment of his pride, but he also reminded him of the words that he gave him. This was an, an, an audible announcement that he will not forget. Why, why, did, why did the punishment come to him? Because Nebuchadnezzar was one of those people that he was not thankful to God for what he has. 
Isn't it interesting sometimes that those who have the most are least thankful? And all of you guys who came with us to Africa can truly witness to this, that people who have the least are very thankful. And we who have so much complain too much. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar, immediately. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet and the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So obviously, just get that simply, the temperature in this area was about 100, 110, 120 degrees Fahrenheit. With the summer, with humidity, and imagine get that his hair growing, so and it crawls it could be like he could look like uh, it could look like feathers okay and because he doesn't cut his nails for seven years eventually it will look like claws so here he's he's telling him immediately at the same point this man the, the judgment of god occurred at the exact moment you know i'll tell you guys something kid when you look at the, when i was looking at this verse i immediately thought of the praise of Saint Mary in Luke 1 when she said he scatters the proud and the thoughts of their heart he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate Saint Mary as she forming her praise she's very well read in the scripture and she probably remembered what God has done with those who are proud he scattered the prouds in the thoughts of their hearts. But I want to tell you guys something. This is partially part of God's mercy for him. And we will see as we move on, we will see this chapter, next chapter, the mercies of God. Because God is giving him a chance. He tell him seven years and you will be back. And at the end of the time, at the end of the seven years, now look at the, the verse turns into first person. I, Nebuchadnezzar. It's important in the scripture when it speaks in the first person. Because sometimes this person himself is writing. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And my understanding returned to me. The person who is proud, he's foolish. His understanding is not in him. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom is from generation to generation. One of the most beautiful prayers that we can ask God, God give me understanding. Because when we understand life the way it is, it will be natural to us to be humble. Understanding is humility. Nebuchadnezzar said, when understanding came back to me. When understanding came back to me. He looked toward heaven in an act of submission. Surrendered and acknowledged his needs and all the works of the Most High God. And he praised God and honored him. All this are acts of humility. 
When people say we struggle with pride, you ask yourself, well, how often do you thank God? How often do we praise Him? How often do I acknowledge Him? That would answer or that would help us to defeat what? To defeat our pride. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can restrain his hands or say to him, what have you done? Finally, Nebuchadnezzar, after seven years of humiliation, he says, God is in control. And be careful, when Nebuchadnezzar came back to life, he remembered exactly the story. He remembered what happened to him. And some people, when they have mental, if we think it's mental illness or we think it's demon position, whatever it is, but when he came back, he remembered what happened to him. And he realized that he did not offer God his due praise and due worship, and he did not have understanding of God, understanding of God. I want to tell you something small before we go into the praise of, of Nebuchadnezzar. If you guys remember, Nebuchadnezzar had seen two significant miracles. One, when Daniel not only explained the dream, but he told him the dream. And number two, when the three young men were saved from the fire. These two events were not humbling enough for him. What did humble, what humbled him? When he lived with the animals, with the ox. A lot of times when we see the work of God external to us, even though we think it's a miracle that's happening outside, it does not make us vulnerable from inside. What makes us vulnerable from inside, when the experience comes in my life, in my heart. In that time, that's when I see God. Nebuchadnezzar, he acknowledged God's unending existence and everlasting power. God rules and his kingdom, nothing like it. He acknowledged that God is in control in heaven and in earth. And he is absolutely sovereign and no one can make or gain something on earth without God's decision. This is almost like what Romans said, the pot cannot ask the potter, what have you done? The wisdom and holiness of the Almighty so far surpasses the comprehension of mankind. So Nebuchadnezzar came to realize this idea. And when he realized it, be careful, when he realized it, his prayer to God changed. He's no longer talk about himself. He talks about God. And this is something we can all experience when we stand in prayer. How much of the prayer is about me and how much is, of the prayer is about my understanding of God. 
and who he is. And the more, the more we become, that's why we call, for example, the monks, we call them the earthly angels. Why? They praise God all the time. Because the understanding, the maturity have increased. At the same time, my reason returned to me. When his reason went back to him, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor, my splendor returned to me, my counsels, my nobles restored to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. This is purely miracle. Remember when I was telling you when uh, Nebuchadnezzar had his dream? We said that in Babylon, two-thirds of, two, two of the kings were assassins. Nebuchadnezzar left the empire for seven whole years. When he came back, the people in the empire went back to him and told him, Come, we want you back to be the king. He restored him back to where he was. This is unheard of. When the king repented, God returned him back and even more honor than he used to have. And Nebuchadnezzar historically was a very powerful and very intelligent king. People liked him. Unlike his son and his grandson, which we're going to see next chapter. But for people to go back to somebody and tell them, look, we want you to go back, it's not easy. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the King of Heaven, all of whose works are truth, and his way is justice, and, whose and those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. If you ask Nebuchadnezzar, what did you learn all your life? He said this verse, and those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. That's why in Proverbs it says what pride goes before destruction and haughty spirit before a fall. Even, even a pagan king, can, God can use him to witness to his glory. Even somebody who does not know the God of Israel can know the God of Israel and can witness to him and be used as a vessel for him. Just kida, before we move to chapter 5, I just want to talk kida, a couple of minutes about pride. Because pride is something that we all struggle from. I remember one time I was talking to a monk in the monastery. He told me pride is circular. And you, you come to it from one side, okay, it will, turn, it will take another form. You deal with this form, it takes a third form. You take, deal with her, and stubbornness is a form of pride. Anger, jealousy, judgment, entitlement, self-pity, belittling myself, exalting myself. So it can take all different forms, up and down, up and down. Pride is a state of unstable, lack of stability. Humility is a state of stability. But what we have learned from here is what? How can I overcome pride? I can overcome pride by understanding. Understanding what God wants me to have the right understanding as his child. And only then I can praise and worship and offer thanks to God. Okay? Now we're going to start chapter 5. 
So chapter 5, just to give you a little bit of introduction, Nebuchadnezzar, at, chapter, at the beginning of chapter 5, is no longer in the picture. He died already. And Nebuchadnezzar, now his grandson, Belshazzar, is now ruling Babylon. Okay? Let me just tell you a historical point of view to keep it in mind. Nebuchadnezzar had a son. His name is Nabudius. Nabudius, he is the last recorded king historically to Babylon. So Belshazzar is not historically documented as a king of Babylon. So what's the deal? The deal is Nepodius, the, the, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, he actually lived in an area called Tema in Arabia, which was about uh, 14, which is about, I think it was 500 miles south of Babylon. So he lived there. So because he was f so far away in Arabia, so somebody had to rule Babylon. So who's going to rule Babylon? He put his son, Belshazzar, in there. Okay? So Nebuchadnezzar had a son, Nepodius. Nepodius had a son, Belshazzar. Belshazzar actually was, uh, was ruling in Babylon. That's why in this, in this book, when, in this chapter when we read it, when Belshazzar wanted to honor somebody and told him, I'm going to give you the greatest gift, he told him, I will make you the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Why the third? Because the first is camping in Arabia, Nabodius, his father, he's the second, and the third he's going to reward, he's going to give the reward. Is that clear? Yes? So this is important to keep in mind for this thing. Also, I want you to guys to be aware of the idea. I can call Belshazzar the son of Nebuchadnezzar, even though in reality it's his grandchild. But this is a common, a common language that was used in the old days. Like for example, when they referred to Jesus as the son of David, even though he was not the direct son of, the, he's not like the immediate son of David, but he's in his lineage. So this is something common, even in a spiritual sense. You can say, oh, this priest or this, uh, this monk or this Tassoni, or this nun, she is the daughter of Tamav Irini. Tamav Irini never got married, but she is the one that discipled her. So this is a, a term we can always use. It's no problem. Belshazzar looks like he was young. Remember, Daniel's, sorry, just stop. Daniel's uh, Babylonian name was Belshazzar. There's a difference of a T. Here it's called Belshazzar. So this is the name. That shows you, by the way, how valuable Daniel was. Nebuchadnezzar gave him the name of his grandchild, almost the same name, of how much he liked him. Belshazzar was young, he was careless, and he did not seem to have the right people around him. Daniel at that time was out of the public office, he was about 70 years old. Okay, so let's see what happened, verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast, great feast, for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of a thousand. That's the first verse. The word Belshazzar means Bel, protect the king. That's his name. Bel is one of their greatest, their greatest gods. Now, it, it was very common actually in the ancient times to have a huge banquet. So a Persian king, one time he fed 15,000 people daily. It was reported that he would feed 15,000 people daily. Alexander the Great entertained 10,000 people at a wedding. And actually, historically, there are two historians, Greek historians. 
Herodotus with Xenophon, they said that when the, by the way, this is the last, last event in the history of Babylon. They said when Babylon fell, there is a banquet that was taking place. And actually they dated the banquet to the 12th of October, 593 BC. Okay? So it's almost 30 years from chapter 4. After chapter 4, we're 30 years now into it. And the king had an had a, had a event, a banquet for all his guests. What is so different about this, this, this banquet? Typically, in the ancient time, when the king throws a banquet, the king is usually is hidden from the scene. He's a king. They put him in a place where you can't see him. But look at the verse, just look at the verse how it's written. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lord and drank wine in the presence of a thousand. Why is drinking wine in the presence of a thousand significantly? Because this was against the tradition. As a king, if he drinks or if he does something, he's always hidden from the group. But Belshazzar went crazy. Okay, he forgot he was a king. They started drinking in front of them to encourage more drinking. Okay, is that clear? Yeah? Now, why did he throw a banquet? Okay, just, I'm sorry, this is important because this is the last event in the, in the Babylonian, this is the last night in the Babylonian history. After this, there's no more Babylon after this. Historically, the armies of Persia were standing outside the city. They have suffered, uh, the Babylonians have suffered the defeat. Nabodius has lost and fled. And now they are surrounding Babylon. And we're going to see why this is relevant. To I'm not giving you history lessons. This is why it's relevant to this book. They were surrounding the city. So they are surrounding the city and he decides to have a banquet. Why? Well, there are many reasons. One, people say because he wanted to build the morale and encourage people. Look, you know, let's have fun, guys. You know, it's okay. We got this under control. We have the strongest walls in the world. We're going to be fine. Some people said because his father was defeated. So he went in and he tried to, to throw a party to claim that he is now the ruler of Babylon. And this was a celebration. Some people said that this was, a, this was a customary event that they do regularly and he did not want to interrupt it so to show people that life is normal, there's no issue. Either ways, all these three options I gave you, it shows that this man was very about people's perception rather than dealing with the problem at hand. The army surrounding the city and at any moment they could die and they could be destroyed, and he chose to let's let's go drink, let's let's get drunk, and let's get yeah, and let's go crazy, and he went beyond the norms. He left his place as a king, and started to go crazy, to go extra mile, to make people join him, and to try to forget the reality that they are facing. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and the silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wife, his concubines might drink from them. 
Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of the Lord which had been in Jerusalem, and the king, his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. The vessels of Jerusalem was there for almost 50 years. And it's actually, what do you call it? It's a, it's a, what he did is a, is a violation of typical oriental tradition. When you take a holy vessels of another god and desecrate it. So by the way, this is not, this is not because he just took took the things that are from the Jews, but this is just a, a tradition that when you take things of the temples of the gods, you should show decency. These things have been around for 50 years. And he has heard about the God of Yahweh, the God of Israel. But once he drank, and he got drunk, he lost his mind, he lost his decency as a human being. He violated the norms of life. And he tried to show people, his friends, look, we're strong, look at us, we have all these trophies from defeating other kingdoms. Instead of looking at the enemy at the walls was going to destroy him in a few minutes, he's trying to tell himself lies about his life, about things of the past that has nothing to do with today, even if that will cause violations. I'm going to tell you guys something I was thinking about this and I'm not sure if it's how true it is or not but Isaiah prophesied before Daniel but about 150 years and Isaiah prophesied if you open Isaiah 44 28 prophesied that the king of Persia and Medi will come and take over Babylon he said who says of Cyrus he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure saying to Jerusalem you shall be built and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. So I'm not sure if Belshazzar was aware if this is a text that was available to them that knows that the, the God of Israel hath prophesied about the destruction of Babylon but it was already clear that Nebuchadnezzar have seen this and God told him the kingdoms are coming behind it. But it's clearly in this, in this moment here, this man chose to put his trust, to trust and to please people over following principles. Over following principles. He said, let me please the lords that work for me and make them happy instead of following the basic decent oriental customs at that time. Look at what happened in verse 5. In the same hour, the fingers of man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw a part of the hand that wrote it. 
can imagine kid at the scene with me, they are drinking, they are partying and doing all crazy stuff. And all of a sudden, they see a hand writing. And what happens? Silence. Shh. It's something they're not expecting. This is not a hallucination. The king and everybody else sees it. The king and everybody else sees it. Then the king, uh, king countenance changed. His face changed. His thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. Tarfin, when he started going like this, going crazy. You know, when you, if you imagine if you see a lion going to attack you, his, his knees were shaking. This is a symptoms of extreme panic attack. This guy is, is having panic attack. A few minutes ago, he acted like, you know, look at us, we're so powerful. And just all what God had to do, a hand. Wrote a few words. You see, this is the impact of sin. He does not understand what is the meaning of the words. What are the words even? Just the fact that he knew he did something wrong made him feel so terrible. He knows he did something wrong. And that's the idea about sin. No matter how you try to purify it and make it look good and make it doesn't matter, it's still garbage. It's still garbage. Give as many excuses as you want. It's still garbage. And this is what's happening here. His guilty conscience started to make him afraid. I have offended God. Today I shall die. The king cried aloud. He's so scared. He cried aloud to bring the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tell me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have chains of gold around his neck, and he shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Third ruler in the kingdom, the kingdom is already destroyed. Babylon is surrounded. Tomorrow it's going to be gone. Yani. But he's third ruler of the kingdom. All the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. The king, then King Belshazzar was greatly tr troubled. His countenance would change and the lords were astonished. After he saw the writing, he started screaming. Get me everybody here. They brought him everybody. He said, look, I'll give you everything. Purple is a, is a color for royalty in the ancient time. The gold chains were only used for people of Franks, uh, Frank. They're usually given as a, as a gift by a king, so nobody can wear them unless you are actually, um, unless you're actually belong to a king. And third position, which already we talked about. He's going to make him the man after him. He's going to oversee everything. Belshazzar men arrived. Obviously, you might say, that how come they didn't try to give him an interpretation? They probably did, but their their interpretation were probably so confusing. They're all contradicting each other. Nothing made sense. Okay? So, didn't make a lot of sense. If you'll notice here, remember I told you that in, in, uh, in Babylon, people did speak Aramaic. And the four words that came today were also in Aramaic. So it's not the problem they could not read the word. Yes, people said the word were vertically, not horizontally. There's some consonants that were not written in them. All that stuff, that's fine. 
But the words itself, you can read them, but you cannot interpret what they mean. Because understand trying to say, so there's four different words, and each word has a meaning. We'll see the, the meaning of each word. But you cannot say what it means unless somebody interprets for you what God is trying to tell you. And this is important because God wanted to him to hear the message clearly, him and everybody in the place. He did not make it so obvious to him. And this is important for us because people who are far away from God, they do not understand the messages of God so easily, even if it's so obvious. People who are far away from God do not understand the messages of God so easily, even if it's so obvious. I was talking to somebody yesterday about the concept of the voice of God. And I was telling him something that Abuna Tadras told us a long time ago, stuck with me. He said he's astonished that some people can live with God for 20, 30, 40 years and say, I don't know the voice of God. So what have you been doing for the last 40 years, 30 years, 20 years? What voice were you following? What messages were you, were you, were you uh, 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 following in your life? If the voice of God is not clear yet. People who are far away from God cannot hear the voice of God. Then the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords. Obviously, there's a queen. I'm going to talk about who this queen is. She heard what's happening, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your contents change. There is a man in your kingdom, and who is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Who is this queen? This queen, most likely, it's either the wife of Naponodius, his father, or the wife of Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because remember when we started the, 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 the chapter, we said that Belshazzar had a, a gathering for a thousand of his lords. His wife's concubines were there. So the wife of Belshazzar most likely was in the already the banquet. There's another queen that came. And that queen, it's either his mother or his grandmother. And that queen was almost kind of rebuking him. She told him there was a man here in the kingdom that you're not using anymore. This man in the time of Nebuchadnezzar was found to have the spirit of the holy gods. Why did you remove the good company from your sight? Why are you surrounding yourself with bad company? She started to remind Belshazzar of Daniel's credentials. Of Daniel's credentials. This is almost, we're talking about now, 
23 since Nebuchadnezzar's death. Daniel, for almost 23 years, had no public office. He was just living in Babylon, and we'll see later on during the prophecies that, that God sent him prophecies. He was sitting in public office, not doing anything. He was put aside. After his faithfulness to God, after all the things he has done, he was laid off. We hear nothing in this book about Daniel being upset that he was laid off. Nothing. It's not even an important event for him. Because he's with God. Happy. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, from my father's, whom my father's the king brought from Judah? Yani, so arrogant. Like, you're, you're afraid? Your feet are, your knees are shaking? You're terrified? Your face is red? There's a hand writing? And you look at, uh, look at Daniel, the guy who's so wise, and you tell him, are you the guy that my father brought from that Judah? Why is he treating him this way? Because he desecrated the vessels of the God of Judah. He's trying to intimidate Daniel. He's trying to intimidate Daniel. And by the way, as I told you earlier, he didn't want to refer to him as Bel Belshazzar. Belshazzar, Daniel's original king, name, because his name is close to him. And it will make him feel humiliated. So he referred to him as Daniel. He didn't want to refer to him as Belshazzar. So they told him, are you Daniel? Even though King Nebuchadnezzar would always refer to him with the Babylonian name. I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, that the light and understanding and excellence, wisdom are found in you. Look at this verse. His, I'm sorry to be technical, but I want to show you how, how foolish this guy is. The queen told him the spirit of the holy God is in him. Here when he referred to him, he didn't want to say holy God. He said the spirit of God is in you. He did not want to give glory to the God of, of Daniel. Holy is a unique description to the, the God that kind of in the ancient time, the God who above all the other gods. Now the wise men, astrologers, have been brought in before me, and they should read this writing and make, make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give me the interpretation of the thing, and I have heard you, that you can give interpretation, explaining this. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple, have chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be third ruler in the kingdom. This might look as an attractive offer to somebody who has been out of the public office for 23 years. He might say, yes, this is God returning me back to my rule. Right? I have been faithful for 23 years. Nebuchadnezzar is not there. Now it's my chance to shine again. Look what Daniel told him. Then Daniel, Daniel answered and said to him, Let your gifts be for yourself. Yani, set aside, kid. And give your rewards to another. I don't want anything from you. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. 
told him, why is he doing this, Daniel? First of all, he doesn't see Belshazzar as a man that respected God and also as a man as is willing to understand and already Daniel knows what the writing says. We're going to see what the writing says. But also, Daniel wants to show him that the gifts of God are not for sale. Like when God gives somebody a talent to heal the sick or to, or to explain dreams, it's not like they sit in the room and anybody who is sick, okay, let me give you, charge you $5 for healing you. It doesn't work that way. These are gifts from God. You give them for free. So he told him, O king, the most high, God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory, and honor. God gave Nebuchadnezzar. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all people, nation, and language trembled and feared before him. Whom, the, whom he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he sat up. Whomever he wished, he put down. And when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in, hardened in pride, he was made deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven out from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast, and his dwellings was, was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was with, with the dew of heavens, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over whomever he chooses. By the way, Daniel did not even tell him any explanation yet Daniel will lecture him first Daniel what is Daniel is doing he's reminding him of things that should have impacted his life there are certain things that should have impacted our life I really think one day God will say how many people have you met in the church that have seen St. Mary appear in Zaytun? Did this not change you? How many events in the history of your life and the people around you that has not yet transformed you? So the punishment that Nebuchadnezzar received in chapter 4 was not only for Nebuchadnezzar. It was for his son, for his grandson, for their wives, for the lords, for all the people who are in position. Every event that God brings into my life is for me to learn from. It's for me to learn from. Nebuchadnezzar, heart, because he was arrogant, became hardened. What is a hardened heart looks like? There's no sympathy. Cannot talk to God. Very selfish. But Nebuchadnezzar repented. Look, verse 22. But you, his son Belshazzar, you have not humbled your hearts, although you knew all this. Uh-huh. So Belshazzar knew all this. Knew that his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, lived like animals and the God of Israel punished him and you have not you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven they have brought the vessels of the house before you and you and your lords your wives your concubines have drunk wine from them 
and you have praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Look what Daniel told him, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the finger of the hands were sent before him, from him, and this writing was written. Daniel told him that your gods are fake gods. Flat out. They do not know. These gods do not know. After he rebuked him and told him, You have not repented, and your, your father, yes, was proud, but he repented. You have heard and done nothing. You have seen with your own, your own eyes and have done nothing. And you have been following these gods who are fake. This is considered to be almost a blasphemous statement that he made. But Daniel did not care. He wanted to convey the truth. This is not somebody who wants a gift, by the way. This is not somebody who is seeking a gift. This is somebody who is seeking to say the truth. And this inscription that was written, what does it say? Menna, menna, tackle, and parson. Menna, menna, tackle, and parson. These are the four Aramaic participles. It doesn't matter, but this is what they're saying. Menna, menna, tackle, and parson. Although the interpretation of each word, menna, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Basically, the word menna means it's over. The hour has come. The bridegroom is here. This is the hour of your death. Menna menna. Means actually numbered. Your days were numbered. Were over. That's why the Bible says the days are evil. What does the word days are evil mean? Time passes by quickly. And all of us here in this room, in the church, we think that we have very long time. Even when we hear about people dying at different ages and all that stuff, doesn't doesn't hit if it hits for one or two days maximum. The days are evil. Time flies. And the hour of our death could come at any moment. Menna, menna. That's why I told him twice. The door is shut. He can't repent anymore. Tackle, you have been weighed. Weighed. They put you on a scale to weigh you. What is that scale that God uses to weigh us? It's a commandment of God. How have you been following the commandments of God? When we die, there's a process where we're weighed. And the good thing is that all our sins can be wiped away in confession and repentance. And what's good is left. That's why we always say nothing that we do on earth has no value. A cold cup of water has a value. 
a loaf of bread that I give to somebody in need has a value. One of, one of the good youth told me something that touched him. He told me he heard this from Abuna Lazarus. Abuna Lazarus told them that an hour of mindful prayer is more than a year worth of charitable deeds. An hour of a mindful prayer is worth more than a year of charitable deed or a lifelong of charitable deed. You get weighed and God sees that where is your prayer? Where is your faith? Where is your submission? Where is your repentance? Where is your love? That's why the desert of Shahid, they call it what? The scale of the heart. The desert of Shahid, or the monks, the Baraid Shahid, means the scale of the heart. You're going to weigh your heart to see who's in it. To see who's in it. So he told him, you were weighed and you were found wanting. You were found lacking, deficient. Who, who is God talking to? God is talking to a pagan king. This pagan king, pay, pay attention, this pagan king did have a moral code that he must obey, must follow. And even the basic moral code, the code that was required from him, he did not follow it. Remember in Romans, God said those who do not know, their conscience is their law. Nebuchadnezzar repented because there is a law, natural law inside of him. Belshazzar was punished based on the natural law inside of him. He was not punished because he did not keep the Sabbath or he did not circumcise himself. He was punished because he did not keep the natural law inside his heart. Parsi means your kingdom has been divided, given to Medes and Persians. Basically, your kingdom has been divided between Medi and, and Persian. And so basically, if you add the whole thing together, he told him you're numbered, numbered, weighted, and divided. Basic, that's why nobody can explain what it means. Numbered, numbered means your days are over, your days are numbered, they are done. You have been weighted, found wanting. God have weighted your deeds, and then your kingdom is divided. Your earthly and heavenly are destroyed. Your earthly and, and heavenly are destroyed. Look at his reaction. After Daniel told him that you are going to die and you're going to go to hell, basically. That's what he's telling him. And your kingdom will be divided. Just a big disaster is going to happen. Look what he said. Then Belshazzar, give the command. And they closed Daniel with a purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. Yeah, I'm the kingdom, khalas, two, yeah, in two hours, there's no kingdom. He's telling you you're going to die. Tab, offer repentance. Tab, get on your knees and pray. Tab, tell Daniel, what should I do? Be careful, because the fact that he gave Daniel the rewards, it means that he believed the interpretation. He believed it. You see, the hardened heart, he believes it, he rewards Daniel, he does nothing. And this happens sometime when we are prideful. God sends very obvious messages, stop lying. 
Stop lying. Stop lying. You lie too much. Stop lying. Your true identity is hiding. Nobody knows what's your identity anymore. You don't even know yourself anymore. Stop it. But because of pride, I can't stop it. I can't confess it. Stop cheating. Stop stealing. Stop disrespecting your parents, left and right. And because of pride, I'm okay with it. Because of pride, I don't understand how big these sins are. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Media received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. At the same night, didn't last for a long time, the, the, the Media and Persians army entered. It was on October, we said 11 or 12, 539. And Darius, he was 62 years old, he became the ruler of Babylon. And they came over and took it. Even though, by the way, the, city, the, the, the walls of Babylon were very strong. This is one sentence, but this is the sentence here, this verse here. This is a destruction of a kingdom and a beginning of a new kingdom. Okay? Babylon, the walls of Babylon, by the way, were two sets of double walls. And it was very hard to preach. Actually, what they did was that they cut supplies to the river and they entered from under the walls. And the historians say, actually, because they, they knew there was a banquet going on and all the leaders of the army are busy, this is the night they chose to go in and to, and to destroy the city. And to destroy the city. Some historians were saying that Cyrus, when he entered the uh, Babylon, was actually welcomed by the people of Babylon. Remember, Babylon has a lot of people who were from different nations. So most of them did not like Belshazzar at all. Looks like he was not a good leader. So most of them did not like him. So most of them welcomed Cyrus to come. And most likely because of how this kid was for almost 23 years, he took one of the greatest kingdom in the world and brought it to the ground. Because he was just careless, negligent. He took the, the gifts of God for granted. He took the gift of God for granted. I just want to, yani, we concluded this chapter. As I just want us, as we look at these stories, it's important for us to see that God is so active in people's life. Even when Daniel was gone for 23 years, You'll be surprised those 23 years when he was out of sight of public office. These are a lot of the years where he saw a lot of the visions and prophecies. You'll be surprised to see that Isaiah prophesied about what will happen 150 years before it happened. With the name of the king. You'll be surprised how pride which you might think it's oh, everybody, oh, everybody struggle with pride, can prevent a significant amount of grace from God, can damage the essence of my relationship with God. That's why it's important for us to pray about it and ask God for help and understanding 
and to learn how to praise and to learn how to be thankful because all these things will help us eh, to overcome pride and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.